0: Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker fan sports show with Dave, Honky, Mac,
1: and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky.
2: It's official, according to ESPN at least. Tom Osborne has made the Mount Rushmore of college football coaching legends, joining Bear Bryant, Nick Saban, and Newt Rockney. Congrats, T.O. I'm also with
3: Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Hey, what are you doing this bowl season? Never mind. I'm just kidding. That was mean. I'm sorry.
4: <laughs> and also with Boomer. Well, don't worry, Mac. At least you've got the basketball season to look forward to. And... <laughs> oh, crap. Anyway. <laughs> clang,
3: clang, clang goes the trolley. <laughs>
4: Baseball start before you know it and we That's true. There is that. Yep. Volleyball still going strong. So all right,
1: very positive things. Uh well guys, the season is over. The college football season is over that is and um we've got our playoffs and our bowl set up. Uh obviously we're sitting on the sideline this year, which is disappointing, but we will have our bowl pick'em. Uh we'll we'll send that out here uh, very soon, and everybody can hear about that. Uh, we also have a winner with our college football pickem, em Honky. Uh, who was our winner this year? I read about stuff. All right. You dominated.
2: Yeah, he <laughs> ran away with it. Boomer, is that law, politics, and football? On I Twitter, believe so,
4: yes. Yeah, he's. I believe it's his handle. Yep. Loyal Twitter follower of ours. Well, yes, and if uh, I read about stuff, can't fulfill his duties as a Yahoo pickem winner, then uh, it, it goes to Adrian's auto picks was our uh, runner-up. And, Hockey, who finished third, by the way, overall?
2: Well, I was going to say, congrats to you. If, if Adrian's auto picks can't uh, fulfill those duties, then Boomer would. All right. Hey, Look at that.
3: All right. That
1: is impressive, Boomer. Good job.
2: And with 100 people, and we were capped at 100, we actually had more people that wanted to enter than that, but I'm impressed with the group of us. Mac ended up 23rd. Dave was 24th. I was 25th. And 26th was producer Skip. Uh, I'm not sure where Redcast Rob was, probably somewhere on this island. He was he, drinking. Yeah, he's a Raider fan. He's drinking, <laughs> he's drinking heavy these
1: days. Good stuff. Well, uh I read about stuff. Uh, he gets uh, a signed autograph of Honky eating shrimp, is that right? And maybe if he contacts us... He can uh, maybe actually meet Honky in the flesh or something to that effect. Yeah, we have to
4: get a picture of the presentation, so yeah. (laughs)
1: All right, Uh, good stuff. Well, I think we've got a bunch of stuff in the Plowboys Barbecue and A mailbag, right, Honk? Uh, Is that what we're going to tackle in this show?
2: We just had kind of a hodgepodge of different comments that came in, and so we're putting it together just to have a a conversation here.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of emotions out there, (laughs) a lot of viewpoints, a lot of angles people want to talk about. I get it. I mean, we've got a long time before we suit up and play another football game, so the silly season has begun. Well, and our first question that came in from the Plowboys Barbecue and A inbox comes from Grandpa
2: Jack, and... He mentioned how in 2020, it's going to be an important year in Husker history, similar to what 1969 meant for Devaney and what 1992 meant for Osborne. Obviously, I guess to give a little bit of preface to it, 1969 was coming off of two six, and 6-4 seasons for Devaney. They didn't go to bowl games during that time. There was a petition out in Omaha to fire Devaney and some of his staff after the 68 season. That's so Omaha. <laughs> 92 for Osborne. You were still in the stretch of... Those bowl losses, right. we'd had some bigger losses to uh, Georgia Tech and Miami and mm-hmm. Oklahoma kind some of through that ones. time, some yeah. bad ones. The point is is that I guess there was pressure on the coaches at that time, and that season was important. I'll start with you, Dave. Does Grandpa Jack have a point?
1: Um, I, Grandpa Jack's been drinking some Jack Daniels. Uh, maybe <laughs> he's got a point. I don't know. I don't want to deny that it's an important season. I think that's an accurate statement. I think it's very hard to define that with uh, – some sort of pre-determined indicator 10 months before the season starts on how we measure success in 2020, though. Uh, we've talked at length at the on this show about how we've seen progress this year, but they did not result in wins and losses. Um, I think we could see progress next year, significant progress on the performance on the field, but due to the schedule, you may still be looking at a, a record that may not meet our expectations. So
3: I think it's really hard to, to say at this point, It's hard to tell Husker fans to be patient because I feel like we have been patient and I guess I'm kind of, I get a little irritated when I hear media or somebody say, you know, Husker fans just need to be patient. Like, we are being patient. Like, everybody that I talk to that's a reasonable Husker fan feels like, you know, the right pieces are in place to make a move on this. Now, this season was so frustrating. It's like, it erased any goodwill that next season, which we all agree the schedule gets a little harder, and based off of this year, it doesn't look that good. We should have made hay this year, and next year would have been a lot better, but we didn't. So... Does 2020 become very important? Yeah, it does. And like Dave was talking about, we could see significant progress on the field that may not result in wins. Well, that's too bad. It needs to result in wins next year. We need some wins next year. This isn't one of those things where we're like, oh, a good try is going to do it. We erased all that kind of credit this year. So no, I'm not going to tell Husker fans to be patient. So Mac, what, what are you telling us there? What is, what does it mean that that's not good enough? Progress without wins is not good enough. This is what I'm well, saying. What does that
1: result in? If they are five and seven last year, next year. Right. Are you firing Scott Frost? No, I wouldn't fire Scott Frost. I'm not even close to saying that, but. Okay. So that's in a, that's very important context because. We without saying that you're that you're not even close to Skyrim Scott Frost you're
3: telling us it's unacceptable so i mean what are you actually trying oh to how say? would that manifest in well i would say yeah. The sellout streak should be in jeopardy. I would say stop asking for money for facilities that you're trying to build. You know, that kind of stuff could manifest. If their number one concern is apathy setting in in this fan base for this program, they should be concerned. And a a losing record next year or not going to a bowl game, for me, and I'm a diehard, it would be close. It would be very close because the energy and the time we spent putting in this program to see it again not manifest with wins. We need wins. If it doesn't do that, then, yeah, it's a problem. Well, I think some of the frustration
2: here that I'm hearing from you Mac and I know we all feel it I know people that are listening to the show that are loyal listeners you feel it too is that there is this question of how long should this take we've talked about this over the last few shows we absolutely believe he's laid a foundation take all the wins and losses out for a second we're two years in mostly (laughs) losses well the point is the point is that we've laid a foundation in the program where we built up a walk-on program we've have two years of strength and conditioning under our belts. We have a system in place. We will have a third year starting quarterback unless he gets beat out in a competition, which either way can be a good thing. I I I have no problem with that. What I'm saying either way is that if if it's a third year starting quarterback, good. If, if somebody else is better and beats him out, good. I, I don't really care right now. What I'm getting at is that if a foundation is, is now laid, we should expect pretty good results starting next season, right? How patient do Husker fans need to be there? I guess
4: to Max's point, you've got to see actual on-field end result improvements. That has to equate to wins. You could say, "Oh, we're our offense is better," or "Oh, maybe our you know defense isn't giving up as many points," or you know special teams might have improved. But that's not equating to wins. Ultimately, does that matter? Everyone always says, you know, situations and scenarios are different. You know, you can't always compare one program to another. But I can look around college football, and I think by year three – you know what you have as a coach, you know what you have as a program, you know how your system works. Just looking at a handful of coaches this year that are in year three of their program, uh, you look at somebody like, you know, we comment coach business casual, P.J. Fleck, walked into a Minnesota program that wasn't in great shape, they'd fired their entire staff, players were revolting, year three, they've turned out pretty good. Uh, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati took over a, you know, middling Cincinnati program, four wins, there. You know, double-digit wins in years two and three. Tom Allen in Indiana's in his third real year there. He's turned them into a competitive bowl team. You look at Matt Rule and Baylor. I mean, could you walk into a worse situation than he did at Baylor, where they, it's one of the worst scenarios you could imagine for an athletic department. And just horribly handled all together, and he walked into a recruiting class of one when he took over, and they're a game away from making the college football playoffs. Now, should we expect playoffs next year? No, but I think it's very reasonable for a fan base to expect progress and wins in year three in a program. And if you're not seeing it at that point, you have to start asking questions of why. What is it we're not doing well? Is it our scheme isn't situated for the Big Ten. Is there something we need to adjust? Is the 3-4 not working? Are we not recruiting at the level we need to? Why aren't we doing that? Is What's not working?
1: So, Honky, you've talked ad nauseum on this show at times about how Nebraska has a certain formula that has proven that it has worked here before, uh, that not all formulas are plug-and-play, right, and that Frost has been borrowed his blueprint directly from Osborne's formula for how it would work at Nebraska. Has anything changed in your belief in that application of how Frost is looking at that formula?
2: What Frost brings here,
1: and what I like
2: so much about the system that we run here and what he's trying to do with mobile quarterbacks, walk-ons, local recruits, all the positive things. There's a ton of positive things. We are recruiting well within the Big Ten footprint. That can't be overstated. It also has to start to show up. It has to start to show up next year. I think it's too hard of a sell on Husker fans right now to sit there and and sell a level of patience or that it's going to be another two or three years when we're already two years into the process. You need to give us some victories. You need to give us some good feelings along the way. And they blew some opportunities to Max Point earlier this year. (sighs) Dave, when we were at Colorado, when we were at that game, a a game that we obviously should have won against a first-year coach and all that, and we lose that, that's an opportunity loss. And... I'm not trying to put extra pressure on Coach Frost. My goodness, I, I can quote the guy from preseason when he was on BTN. He goes, the expectations in Lincoln have been far too low for far too long. That's him saying that going into year two. So now that we're done with year two, I don't think it's it's a wise move right now for us to try to preach patience. And when I say us, the if it's athletic director Moose or whatever, to sit there and try to say, hey, we're two or three years still away. I don't think that's a good idea right now. I think right now the, the best thing to do is let's just – I know this is tough to say because mm. we want all the news and everything we can get. But I wouldn't say much at all if I was the leadership. I would just go into the off season, try to keep this as quiet as you can. Just get better. Keep doing all the, the things you guys are doing. I know there's a lot of good things being done under the – behind the scenes. Keep doing those things. The wins will start to show.
3: I'm positive in that. You know, the one thing I would I would add to that is the formula. The the walk-on formula and the strength and conditioning. We all know that's a slow build. That's just how it is. The walk-ons aren't going to produce dividends until about four years into the program because it takes some of those guys who were overlooked in high school to build up with the strength and conditioning and nutrition to finally contribute significantly. Same with the recruits that we're getting and developing. The problem is when you lose to Indiana, when you lose to Purdue, and, and like you lose to these teams you shouldn't be losing to. We're not talking about Ohio State. We're not talking about Michigan. We're talking about the teams that we should beat anyway. When you lose those games and then you switch the, the schedule to next year, it's even going to be harder. So your your likelihood of really improving your, your record next year, is it's pretty tough. And so now we're going to have to stomach that and, and think about that. I really wish this season would have went better, fellas. <laughs> and I'm not looking forward to next season like I was hoping to. Dave, this doesn't feel
2: like the normal chipper, you know, happy-go-lucky redcast that we normally do.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's you guys. Uh, I don't really share a lot of these these issues, so I'm uh, I'm just
3: listening in like everyone else, I guess. Dave, I'm proud of you for not being small.
1: Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Mac. You've been telling me not to be small hey, listen, this entire time. I
3: appreciate it. Thank you for letting me vent this episode.
1: So, what do you see positive here, Dave? I mean, uh, Boomer. I'm sure I know what you're asking. I mean, I, I mean, you guys. I mean, look at the schedule. We could start seven or zero next year. For goodness' sakes, I mean, it's possible. Hell, Riley did. It's doable, right? <laughs> um, and once you start that that momentum, Frost has talked over and over again It's like winning's a habit. You start building balling those things. That, that's what this team needs. Uh, they need to come out and, and do. That I'm not saying they will, but I think they could. And uh, to Honky's point, I mean, like the recruiting wise, I mean, I got I'm really excited about some of the guys we brought in, especially within that 500 mile radius. Big guys uh, on the offensive and defensive lines are really impressive. Those are the guys that we were missing for years. It seemed like we'd always miss on those guys. Um, those are the guys that are going to stay in the program and develop. Um, I feel there's so many positives. Uh, it just it, it didn't manifest itself in wins this year, um, and I'm not here to predict that it will or not. But I, I feel like it's going absolutely in the right direction. And all of those examples you gave me—Minnesota, Baylor, etc.—those were three year the third year, right? And they, they were actually not ex- exactly mm-hmm. expected to go that way, right? We didn't expect Baylor to go uh, 11 and two, or, or Minnesota to go 10 and two this year. They went 7-6 and six last year. They did happen to get one extra win in the regular season than we did this year. But that that's it, right? And then they turned the corner. So I'm, I, there's no reason why I think we couldn't do that. And that's why I'm, I'm not that worried.
4: See, that's why, we, that's why we have you on here, Dave.
1: So
2: in a little bit, we're going to have Husker Hype on an interview that Mac and I did about a week ago. And they're part of our Husker Influencer Series. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that even in our own way, guys, I, I know we don't think of ourselves like this, but I think we influence people positively or negatively, and we try to be positive. I think that we are just—we're frustrated too for for a moment. We want to be a very positive influence on Husker Nation. Yeah. We want, we see all the good things going on, and yet it has resulted just in not a lot of wins. But how do we maintain our positivity?
4: If you followed my RedCast on the Rock segment, that's a good, uh, that's a good start right <laughs> there. Man.
3: Everybody, let, let's rattle some ice. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, there is that. I guess
4: a lot of my other teams have been terrible in sports for a long time, and I'm not saying the Huskies are terrible. It's just part of being a fan is you take the good with the bad, and it is what it is. You criticize what's bad, and you just take the the wins when you can and still enjoy it ultimately at the end of the day. It's a game. It's a sport. Don't let it dominate your life. And it it can always be fun, even when it, things aren't going great. Okay, another question that we had that came in from the Barbecue and A inbox, also from not Grandpa Jack, but just
3: Jack. But not Jackie Hanji.
2: Uh, after reviewing the all-conference list, I thought I'd review a few of Wisconsin's first-team selections to see how they were recruited. Wisconsin's Tyler Biedez, I'm not sure, Outland Trophy semifinalist, was recruited as a three-star defensive tackle. And Zach Bond, the all-conference linebacker, was a low three-star athlete at 6'3", 210. Their two best players besides Jonathan Taylor didn't come in for the position where they finished in college, hoping Cam Jurgens and Ethan Piper can be our version of Tyler Byatt is, and maybe a Snodgrass could be developed into a Zach Bond 3-4 linebacker. So, I, you know, here's an example, and thank you for the question, Jack. Here's an example of let's start looking forward towards the development side of things, that it's not all about getting the four- and five-star kids. You know, Wisconsin's more than proven that time and time again. It's about recruiting the right kids and then developing them once they get into the program.
3: I get what he's saying, and I and I, and I get that the three-stars made their way through Wisconsin's program and finally contributed. That's not a great comparison simply because Wisconsin's been doing the same thing for years and years and years and years where a guy can come in and maybe be developed quickly and, and exceed his athletic potential as a high schooler in college. Well, this is what we talked about before, Bloom, when you said, am I concerned about if our recruiting numbers don't match up with Ohio State's? And I said, "It's more. I would look more at the numbers at the end. Are we putting guys in the NFL versus are we getting those blue chips right at the beginning? Wisconsin puts guys in the NFL. Currently, we have not been putting a lot of guys in the NFL. With what we recruit and the players that we have, if our coaches are worth their salt, these guys need to get in the NFL. And I think Lamar Jackson's a good example of somebody that they got to the NFL that I, or I think will get to the NFL that last year I wouldn't have said would. And he's a, he's a talent, but his play did not mate what I thought an NFL player would. This year it has. So as we go forward, that might be something we see.
2: To go back to our discussion yeah. about patience
3: though, in
2: this case, with these Wisconsin players, these are fourth and fifth year guys. Yeah. So to get to that point of them being at that outland level, it didn't happen overnight. Even at Wisconsin, the only difference is Wisconsin had their previous you know three and four and ten years of recruits built up you know over that time, right? So I guess you know, Dave, I'll go back to you with with this. Is that I know where Jack is coming from here, and I and I can see that same vision. That's just going to take time,
1: right? Yeah, I completely buy what Jack's selling me right there and uh, that was my point with our previous conversation is that we've talked at length about um, how great of a fan base we are etc i totally understand the frustration you guys are expressing tonight but if we believe in the formula that scott frost is trying to bring to uh nebraska which is maybe different than other programs that have turned around maybe quicker than what we've seen uh we're gonna have to have those type of players develop and um i i do think that we we're gonna see that it is going to take a little bit of time. And we might, might start seeing it already next year. Um, but, you know, we may really start to see it in year four or five, et cetera. So,
4: yeah. I, I would say one thing, though. I mean, ultimately, I think short term, yeah, I mean, that's probably a good approach to take. Let's start developing players, getting things in here. You know, if we're recruiting that, you know, three-star level, that's fine. I think ultimately, though, reality showing what it has, just the way the playoffs work, the, the teams that are in there on a regular basis. You are going to have to recruit that high-level talents. I mean, we've seen it's, you know, year in and year out. If you're not recruiting in that top fifteen or so every year, your chances of actually being in that playoff-caliber teams, which is where I think every Husker fan wants us to be and kind of expects us ultimately to be, you're going to have to recruit at that level at some point. I think that's just the nature of college football these days.
1: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, Boomer. I think my point, maybe Jack's point, is is that with Nebraska's in-state or near-state talent pool, we need to be able to take those three-star players mm-hmm. and give them time to develop in certain positions, mm-hmm. namely offensive, defensive line, and mm-hmm. maybe, again, maybe these linebackers are another example where you can get guys uh, in state and over a period of time develop them and then you can go get your four or five star guys from Florida, California, whatever to fill in those other skill position players that you can't find locally, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has to be that combination. Well, I, yeah, I
4: don't I don't think I'm saying anything ultimately different than that. I mean, yeah, we still you're still going to get those kind of players, but I I do think ultimately you do have to have this high level recruiting class. I mean, we everyone likes to bring up Wisconsin as that example of teams that have those, you know, classes in the, you know, 30s and 20s and turns out quality programs, but We've seen time and again they can't get over that playoff hump. I mean, they can't ultimately no. win the Big Ten, beat Ohio State on a regular basis. They can't get to the playoffs and win. And I think that's probably the ceiling with the talent they have with the nature of college football being what it is and the postseason structure being what it is. They're kind of limited, and that's that's the ceiling.
1: Right, Boomer. My, my point, I guess, is, and I, we're not disagreeing here, but my point is, is that Nebraska's ability to recruit at the skill position level should be greater than Wisconsin's. It historically mm-hmm. has been better than Wisconsin's. And so if we can just simply get better at what we do from a player development standpoint within in-state and near-state recruits uh, in certain key positions, that additional recruiting prowess that we have um, across the country should deliver those classes.
2: Yeah, maximize the recruits that are in your area. Maximize the development of those recruits that are in the area. That's what the Wisconsin's doing. But then of course we're gonna go a little bit more national in that. We're gonna get in yeah. some yeah. I think some, some high level talent at specific positions and when you marry those two things together, that's the Nebraska of the the great years that we knew. Yeah. Well, There's I mean, nothing even
3: different. Wisconsin, even Wisconsin's only like a Russell Wells or Russell Wilson from being very, very good, you know. So and that's kind of what we were in the nineties too. It took a Tommy Frazier and a Lawrence Phillips, a couple of few key guys to go along with all our hard nosed guys to, to put us over the hump. That's probably our ceiling. You know, where we recruit and develop and recruit and develop, and we, we, we're competitive, we're a tough team, and then when we get some exceptional players, that's when we can really make a run. That's that's what Husker football would look like running optimally. And, and I know Moose is not wrong about this is going to take some time. However, after this last three-season stretch, I will not field any patience <laughs> <Well, laughs> requests. I'm just it, not going to hear that. It's
2: just that we need to see – Everyone needs to see some progress in the terms of wins and losses to get us to that long term vision, to get us to that point three and four years from now. That's, I mean, there just has to be wins. Dave, you've said this a number of times is that fan bases need to have shared moments of. Success and glory and and victory, and and times where we cheer together about things Mm. just to keep us going. Even in Riley's first year, just beating Michigan State, that was a a moment. If you were a first time Husker fan going to a game and we were three and six at the time, but we beat a top 10 team, that at least is a great moment, a memorable one. Like that's the thing that this was a season of a lot of lost opportunities where there were so many moments where we could have had that. It could have been at Iowa, it could have been with 35,000 people at Boulder. There were moments to have these really memorable days as a Husker fan, and we just kind of blew them. And that's where, you know, I do think that it puts more pressure on on the next season to be something better. Yep. All right, let's kind of move away from that discussion here. And uh, obviously, there's bowl games that are have just been announced in the playoff system coming up here Uh completely different question that came from from Bummy Booth on Facebook he asked are dynasties good for college football and I think that's probably an interesting question being that we're basically seeing the same rotation of about five or six teams that are you know in the playoffs and really the same rotation of only two or three teams that you ever win them uh Boomer I'll start with you uh what are your thoughts on on dynasties right now are they good for college football
4: that's a good question uh I think the way it's kind of currently situated, they're not especially great for college football because it's so difficult for that upstart team to kind of get in there and knock off that dynasty. Part of the fun of, you know, whether it's, you know, the NFL or the NBA or the major leagues, yeah, you've got dynasties, you've got the Patriots, you had the Warriors for years, you have, you know, you can have the Yankees or whoever it is show up in those teams, you know, in those leagues. But you have opportunities for those upstarts to... Those Cinderella teams to get in there and and slay those giants. And the way college football is currently situated, you don't have that opportunity. It, it, it's it just constantly it's built to coddle those dynasties, and it's just reinforcing. And they just play each other, and nobody gets a chance to knock them off. Like if this year comes down again to you know Clemson playing either Ohio State or an SEC team, it's you know it's the same thing we've seen for how many years now, and that does kind of get old after a while. It's a sport that already starts off with, you know, over 50% of the teams having no legitimate chance to play for a championship. And then we're making it harder and harder for everyone else to have a shot at it. And that's a discussion we'll probably have in a later show, you know, about playoffs and better ways to organize it. But, you know, it's nice to see teams that do have consistency. I think we all like that. And, you know, we want to see that rewarded. But it's fun to have kind of that. That chance for an outsider. And that's, you know, one of the things that makes the NCAA basketball tournament so much fun. You have chances for those outsider teams to get in there and knock off the big boys. It's not always, you know, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, you know, playing for the title every year. You've got a chance for, you know, those George Masons to make the Final Four and things like that. And that's, it, it, it adds fun to it. It adds variety. It gives everyone a chance to it.
3: I've heard that question before, and I always think, well, would the alternative be better if it was somehow governed or mandated to not have dynasties. You know what I mean? Like Alabama, Clemson, whether you like it or not, they've earned it. They're out there recruiting, they're developing, and they're putting guys in the league. I mean, they're doing what they need to do to to compete, and and they're not getting in the way of anybody else doing the same thing. I just think maybe it's not good for the sport, but is is good for the sport – trying to make it more like the NFL. I- uh, college football is
4: so weird, and it's like there's, there's no uniformity in it. You know, we leagues are so imbalanced with how they schedule. You look at, like, Oregon this year. They play nine conference games, and because of the fact they played Auburn and Arizona State, right. they're not making the playoffs. And you've got SEC teams that play eight conference games and an FCS game or two, and... Your big non-con game might be Duke at a neutral site, which is you know two miles down the road from your home stadium. It's just it's so weird in that aspect. It's it's hard to compare that exactly. Yeah.
3: It, if they were going to look to fix any of that, I would say yeah, conference how many conference games you play, make that uniform. Yeah, you know, that, that would be that would be a fair way to do it. Yeah, there,
4: there's there's a lot of things college football I think could do better. Uh, you know, some of it you can't always control. I mean, you know, Clemson is great, and you know it's not their fault. The ACC is a frigging dumpster fire because that's one of the worst conferences you know I've seen out there. I think the the postseason nature of college football, it doesn't allow for anyone else to have a chance to, to step up and take a shot at these dynasties, which is what makes other sports kind of fun. I mean, we all expect Duke to be good every year and at, year out, but America cheers when Duke loses, and that's part of the fun. And everyone loves it when the Patriots lose, unless you're a Duke or a Patriot fan. Well, they are, and and, and those people are evil anyway, and we know that, so that's okay. You know, well, Duke fans definitely, yeah, absolutely. Obviously. So, and, and that's part of the fun of sports. You can have dynasties, but you've got to have that person to take them down. That you know, the jack to slay the giant. Well, there's never really been that much of that in college football, though, boomer. I mean, there
1: hasn't been those giant killers. I guess you have BYU in 1984, but The reality is, is that I think it just, it's been magnified over the last decade now because of the playoff and, and BCS and and the rise of Alabama that was kind of simultaneously there, right? In in previous decades, we did have two or three dominant teams, the eighties, Miami won 3 national titles, Penn State had 2 of them, and then it kind of was, you know, split up a little bit more in the 90s. It was Nebraska and Florida State. Miami was in there again, too. But we had things like split national titles all the time where in, in a 10-year period, we would have 15 national title holders, right? Oh, yeah, you could have three in a given year. Right, I mean, and we we've, yeah, we've that was- lost that. And so I think the 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 Alabama dynasty in particular has been magnified by them being the sole champion so many times in a row. And the fact is that they have now lost. They have not made the playoff. And so we have a little bit of a different flavor this year um in the playoff. And, I mean, I think, you know, LSU hasn't been at this level since 2011, really. So, I mean, it's a little bit different this year. We'll see where it goes from here. You know, one good thing about the playoff. We hear
2: so much of it before <laughs> eight or whatever. But, guys, I mean, it is a positive thing that we have a playoff right now because if we didn't, if this was the BCS era, which one of Clemson, LSU, or Ohio State doesn't make
4: it? Oh, yeah, this would be a train wreck in the BCS era. Yeah, this would have been a very bad season for that. and Really, a lot of seasons would have been, yeah.
2: So, I mean, we can have arguments at later shows about whether it should be four, (laughs) eight, bigger, whatever. But at the very least, I I hope people can all agree that having four was a good positive step in terms of getting to that that final champion. I mean, this year would have been a, a disaster without it. Well, thank you very much, uh, Bummy Booth, for the for the question. Uh, Dave, I'm going to throw you the last question from the Plowboys Barbecue and a inbox from Jeremy in Minnesota. It's a real softball one. He says I'm looking for a good barbecue place in Nebraska over Christmas. Any ideas where I can go?
1: I've heard of a great place uh, that's in Berries in downtown Lincoln called Plowboys. You should check it out. Bur- check it out. Yep,
2: get
3: the burn ends. Burn ends are amazing. Yep, pulled pork. Tell them, tell them the Redcast sent you.
1: Yeah, here those nachos are the killer, right? The nachos are phenomenal. So. Yep,
0: absolutely.
1: <laughs> All right, great stuff, guys. Uh, I think we had a lot, a lot of positive answers there in a difficult time. Let's uh, move on to the Husker Hype interview.
2: If you are looking to tailgate this weekend, you want to get some catering done, Plowboys will do that. Give them a call, 402-476-6511. Or you can get them at their uh, website, pblincoln.com. Tell them the Redcast sent you. The food is outstanding. They'll cater. Great place to go to. So think about that for your tailgates. Mac and I uh, are lucky enough tonight to be joined by Chris from Husker Hype. Welcome to the Redcast.
5: Hey, thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me on the uh, Go Big Redcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saving that up. (laughs) Dave will love that.
2: (laughs) First off tell us a little bit about Husker hype you know how long have you been doing this and and what is Husker hype kind of all about
5: I started Husker hype about three and a half four years ago it was more of just a outlet to connect with players with fans and I kind of recognize that a lot of what goes on on the sports world and, and players uh, sharing their takes is is on Twitter so I just kind of wanted to get involved with that and from there, it kind of took off to a little bit more. I initially started it as Husker Hype, just to share takes kind of anonymous, anonymously, and it just kind of took off from there. So it's been a, quite the journey, and I enjoy being on there a lot.
2: Obviously, you know, one of the reasons we have you on the show tonight, you're part of our Husker Influencer Series that we're doing. <laughs> uh, we've talked with Husk guys. We've talked with Chaz from SoCal. The Husker Dark Web. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And part of the whole purpose of this series that we're doing is just talking with other like-minded Husker fans that, you know, we can be critical, we can critique the team. And at the same time, you keep some kind of sensibility of positivity and also progress. And I think that kind of leads us into this last season, which... On the surface, it's five and seven, it's a losing season, it's a third straight year without a bowl, and yet, I think we can all see the improvement, we can see areas that need to get better, but that's a piece of what all of our different entities on the web have been doing, is that we're, we're sitting there trying to kind of push some of the positive.
5: Right, I would agree with you, definitely. Um, It's, it's nice to be able to get on there after maybe a, a tough loss, and kind of share the positives, and go over things, and especially for me, I live out here in Arizona, so, I mean, I'm not around a lot of Husker fans all the time although I you know I was talking with you earlier honky about how, how many Husker fans are actually but I'm usually hunkered down in the war room but,
0: uh, <laughs>
5: but yeah it's definitely been nice to be able to get on there and get out the
0: frustrations and uh, share the good
3: times too. Sometimes I feel like the media or the fan base gets portrayed as very reactionary you know people are always calling for coaches jobs already I'm like what Maybe some people are, but the overwhelming majority of Husker fans I talk to don't think like that. I mean, that's just absurd, but that's what gets commented on, and that's what gets, you know, on Twitter and, and has traction that drives me nuts. So, like, when we can get together and do stuff like this and just talk about them I'm like, yeah, we're frustrated. And, like, nobody wants to be at this many wins for the season. I mean, five, that was unfathomable, <laughs> you know, in, in July. Yeah. So, I mean, but at yeah. the same time, it's like, well... Am I going to be realistic, or am I going to hate my life? You know, you have to reassess, man. This has been the season of reassessments for sure.
5: <laughs> it's definitely tough. I mean, I don't know where you guys were with your preseason predictions. I was at eight and four. I kind of got reamed for that eight and four. You know, I my handle Husker Hive didn't really help with me uh, predicting eight and four when everyone else was predicting ten and two. Uh, well,
0: <laughs> but I mean, I said eight and four, and I I thought that would have been great. And I mean, obviously right now it would have been pretty sweet. It just would have been really nice to get that six, but. We're here, and we'll talk about some of
5: the positives that we saw, but also definitely a lot of room for improvement.
2: You know, we uh, we do preseason predictions, and mostly because Dave and Boomer kind of force them upon us. Yeah. I would prefer to never do one if I had the choice. I pick us to go 12-0. I, I did that this year. I'll do it next year. I'll do it the year <laughs> after that. And, you know, the reality is, is that it's hard to have predicted how this season would have gone. Even the, the most real of Husker realists, I don't know, could have envisioned all the issues that we had. Yeah. And it's not just Husker fans drinking Kool-Aid. When you think of Joel Clapp picking us in the top 15, Brett Siancio with pick six For previews sure. that had us winning the West. Phil still has going to the Rose Bowl. They you lit had, the runway. You it was had, ridiculous. Well, and that, that kind of transitions us. I think a lot of the, the hype that came out of the beginning was number one predicated off of we have this quarterback already in place. He's going to make the progressions that you would expect in year two that you saw of Milton. Certainly, Frost has this history with other QBs, Vernon Adams and Mariota and so on, that it's just obvious that we're going to take that next progression with Martinez, and for a number of reasons that progression didn't quite happen either early in the season, and then certainly as the year went on, I think as the injuries started to pile up a bit too, it just never came out of Martinez for that year.
5: It was really tough to watch because you just wanted him to break out you just know what he's capable of, and you just wanted him to rip that knee brace off like Forrest Gump and just freaking <laughs> you know, take off you know? Especially that first half of the year, he was just trying to really throw the ball first, and he just really struggled to take off, and I don't know I'm not sure if it was the, you know, the play book or it would, if it was the the coaches saying we really want you to, to go through your progressions and, and hit that open guy first and then take off but uh the indecisiveness was clear and you know everyone really saw that but going back to obviously the predictions and everything to win the west and yeah it was it was definitely predicated off of nebraska has this top three top four in the nation heisman contender quarterback it just never really
2: came to fruition. We probably need to be careful, I think, going into the offseason, too, is we don't want to get too much under the bandwagon of, well, he's clearly done. There's a lot of good that I think Adrian Martinez has left in him for the next two years at Nebraska. I, I do believe that. I also believe that there has to be a quarterback competition. There should be anyways, but there definitely needs to be one. And we've got the horses at the position to have, a, I think, a legitimate competition, Mac.
3: You know, if if they're going to truly make this an open competition, he's going to have to play at such a level that he can't keep those guys on the sideline. And he he is capable of that. I do believe he is capable Mm -hmm. of that. For whatever reason, that never manifested this season at all. And you'd see flashes, which was frustrating, But at no point you can tell me that he had the same kind of pop and acceleration he had last year. That's just not true. And so many of his deep balls, I felt like he tried to guide or toss. He didn't hardly ever let it rip on some balls. So I just there was just a lot of hesitation, not just in running, mm-hmm. but in his passing game too, and in his reads sometimes. So just the overall bogging down of Adrian. I'm mean, like everything was two clicks slower when you thought it was going to be at least five faster. You know. So, it was, so yep. he's opened the door, yeah. and fans are going to be clamoring for Luke no matter what. I mean, yep. it's the first interception, the first fumble. I don't care. The first time Adrian stubs his toe then it's going to be Luke McCaffrey times. But, I mean, that's on Adrian. Hey, this is big boy football. You know, we all pick mm-hmm. players that are favorites, but it's like, just root for the team, man. Like, I'm yeah. sure the coaches want the best guy out there. I've heard many people say that they're concerned
2: that Frost is stuck on Martinez because he's his hand-picked guy. And, and like
3: Luke McCaffrey's well, not hand-picked. All, yeah, they're all well,
2: his yeah. hand-picked guys. Or where did he show up him. from?
3: <laughs> but Hike, who's that guy?
2: <laughs> I think what we all want, and th- this is a tenet of the history of Nebraska football, is to have competition. Frazier and Beringer had competition going into their senior years in 95. Yeah. Osborne said, after that season was done, was that Beringer threw one extra interception in fall camp. They were grading every single play, every snap, yeah. and and that one extra interception was the difference between Berenger and Frazier starting the beginning of the 95 season. I mean, there's competition
3: with those hey, guys. Jalen Hurts got replaced by Tua wow. Tungaviola, So, I mean, like, it happens in big boy football. May the best man win. That's all I'm saying. You're like... I'm sure the coaches want to win the game. I'm almost, I'm almost <laughs> positive they want to win. What did you think about the play
2: of the quarterback position as a whole this year?
5: I think out of all of them, federal might be the best at running that tempo and, and getting them moving and getting them going. And he might not have maybe the arm strength or, or the top end speed or the burst of McCaffrey. But I mean, he was definitely fun to watch and nice to have. Uh, obviously, Luke is just a freak athlete. You can definitely tell that he's kind of easing into it still with the college game and the speed. I mean, I mean, he gets up to speed, but just kind of the way he finishes runs. Obviously, he's explosive. He's really fun to watch. And then um, going back to Adrian, it was just he had so many things. It was like, oh man, that's not him. And but at the same time, he would make some really good plays. and He would make some nice cuts and, and everything. Um, we got to be able to run shorter passes and, and screens. And it just seems like Adrian really, really struggled with those screen passes. He, if he happened to get them over the lineman, they were just rockets. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have that touch. I still feel like Adrian will be able to work and figure it out this off season, but he's it's definitely a competition and other guys are gonna push for it. I mean, Luke wants it, dude. When you see mm-hmm. him out there, he he wants he's, to be out there.
0: He's,
3: yeah.
5: He's such a gamer. He's yeah. he's on the sidelines screaming and yelling and like, God, we need that so bad. Yeah, like, and we
3: Nebraska just... fans like that stuff too. They see yeah, that and that yeah. kinda fires them up whereas Adrian is kind of that <laughs> contemplative, real low key dude. You know, And with Adrian, I could make the excuses early on in the season. You know, we're getting high snaps. It's throwing off the tempo. You know, Mo was in. Mo was out. You know, we didn't have a run game yet. We're breaking a new line. All that's true. All that contributed to him having a less than stellar season. But there were also times Hmm. where he had time in the pocket and there was an open guy and he would overthrow it by a mile for no reason. Those were the hard ones for me to excuse. He still dropped a few dimes. But like the passing game, I was surprised to see him struggle. In the intermediate game, like he has,
2: yeah. The analysis paralysis that I think is part coaching, part quarterback. Being at the Colorado game, that third down in, in overtime where he got sacked, he's in the pocket, and if he takes two steps to the right and just takes off, there's 40 yards of open wow. field. And a year ago, he sees that and he takes it, that's and so, it's so strange. This, and it's that's not like and we haven't seen him do it. What we saw this year was the regression, and that was the position that I think led most of the people to the preseason For predictions that they, it, you know, they certainly made.
3: Certainly, it did.
2: Running back-wise this year, what did you see? Yeah, I mean, it was just obviously just such a funky deal at running back. And
5: at the end of the season, I, I really do think Mills was kind of that Ozigbo guy. He
0: just mm-hmm.
5: he needed those reps, and you could see at the beginning of the season the way he would finish runs, kind of left a few yards out there, and a couple of those fumbles. But man, he really figured it out. He was fun to watch. They really got some something going with that outside run that bash scheme, and that was fun to mm-hmm. watch that, especially against Wisconsin. And then you know, as I spoke with you earlier with Wandale, just such a massive talent. And we need him. We need him. Throughout the entire season and his skill set, he can line up at running back, line up in the slot, he can line up wide receiver, but he's, he's not meant to take multiple reps between the tackles and big 10 play. And just so many times, just seeing him run up the middle and yeah, he, he burst a few and get maybe five or six. And that's a great run, but man, he felt it and he had to earn those. And watching him get smacked sometimes in the middle like that, it was just, it was just kind of rough to see. Whereas Mills is built for that and running people over. Coming in next year, you know, obviously you got
3: Sevian Morrison, who set some big-time records down there, and um, is he from Oklahoma, I believe? Yeah,
5: Tulsa. I mean, obviously, great football down there, so. And then, uh, you know, Marvin Scott, obviously, had some help, and then really, really hope that Ramirez can be that second quick-step guy. Mills, the pounder, and then, you know, you got Ramirez, and then you still got Wandale out there, maybe in the slot, taking some handoffs as well, and did we really ever run a true, like, jet sweep this year?
3: I think Wandell had a cute I don't know if you call him technically jet sweeps or not. Plus it's hard to tell what position he was in either, so
5: what's your guys' take on some of those late game running back personnel
0: decisions?
3: My feeling is if we had known that Mo wasn't gonna be ready to go for the season or if it was gonna kinda go like this, we probably would have never red shirted Ramir and probably would have had him you know at our disposal. I think that four game rule we kinda got cute with with him. Right. And I think that burned us. And in the past that's not something you do with running backs. If you've got a good running back, they don't redshirt, and that's just how it goes. And I I get why they did it at the point of the season we were at. Maybe you don't want to burn the kid, but I mean, from Mills directly to Wyatt, Missouri, and nobody in the middle, that's just not going to cut it in our conference. It's just not going to get it done. And that being said, you know, we still were third in the league rushing, so I mean, there's yeah. that's the kind of stuff you see. We're like, man, when we can get this up to a level and some depth. The thing with next year is we're going to be counting on guys, again, short of mills that we've never really seen perform. I mean, Ramir's got a very small sample. Ronald Tompkins, you know, that guy, he might as well be Adam Taylor at this point. We don't know if we'll ever see him play or not. We'll hear about his talent, but will he get on the field? I don't know. Well, he's got to get healthy. That's and then, you one. know, Sevian Morrison, who looks like a great talent, but I'm just not going to fall in the trap of waiting on a freshman to to kind of wow me. You don't want... To have to burn Wandell to the ground so early in the season. Well you know, he we shouldn't. Be. That's that's, not, that's that's what I'm saying. That's Somebody not the, has to step up in that backfield along with Mills right. that th- th- can spell those guys, so we don't have to burn him. And like sometimes
2: that. that's gonna be a QB. And the QB run needs to be there. Well and and that amen. that wasn't always there this year at, at times. You know, to your point there, Chris, you talked about at the end of the season. Well, let's look at that last game, Iowa. And I was the first one, you know, first half, I'm texting the the other guys on the Redcast. I'm like, good grief, man. Run the damn ball at these guys. I mean, I literally became run the damn ball guy because of all the side screens. And and that's been talked about ad nauseum. But I go back and I look at the stats right now. And Nebraska, we ran 79 plays against yeah, Iowa. That's a lot. 56 of them were run plays. 23 were passes. Which is actually... I I love the percentage. I, I truly do. But I've actually heard the, the opposite of people being negative at the end of the game where where we should have been throwing the ball a little bit more.
3: I, oh, you just can't ple- – I mean, you're you're not can, is please- that everybody or is that just a few morons who got enough likes on, well, their, on their tweet? That my I big think. thing is we talk so much about
2: recruiting of receivers, and I know we're going to move on to receivers here in a second. We need bigger receivers, don't get me wrong. But it's crazy how when you get a quarterback outside of the pocket and you stress the defense that way and the defense has to start to come up and play you amazing how you can throw it deep to even short guys jd spillman's not real tall and yet mccaffrey getting outside to the left and bringing up defenders he was a wide open receiver for that right
5: yeah. also the tight end downfield the tight end i mean think back to like one of the first plays of the season jack stole streaking straight down the hash marks wide yep. open or the, i think it was wisconsin that block allen block 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 and he came off and mm-hmm. he released yeah. wide open like yeah definitely just throwing it downfield more to even tight ends
0: those guys are tall they're certainly <laughs> super tall
2: I like what they tried to do at the very end of the year, getting Hickman out there as a wide receiver. I think that was smart. Yeah, definitely. He can be a tight end three years from now. He can be a tight end next year. You know, whatever. We'll see how he develops. But right now,
3: if he's built like a 6'6 receiver, play him as a 6'6 I, it, receiver. <laughs> it doesn't even really matter the way we do the offense either. I mean, he no. can grow and stay in the field that entire process, you know. Like, they move those guys so much. He he can be such a weapon in this offense, you know. Like, that's the kind yeah. of stuff that gives you hope. You know, moving on to the wide receiver position, because I feel like personally, on the offensive side of things, it's probably been one of the more underperforming units. And I say that knowing that Wandale was great, but I kind of feel like Wandale came in great you know, and that was just sort of, that was just him being him. The lack of development in that position group has been irritating.
0: Yeah, I don't feel too
5: good about it, to be honest with you. I didn't really feel too good about the wide receivers this year. I guess I'm kind of with you on, it's kind of the, for young guys and you guys coming in, I mean, no matter what stars you are, what your huddle tape looks like, it's it's a different ball game when, when you get there and Mm-hmm. Until until we see something and we see some passes and we you know we see it happen, it's just really hard to get too rallied up behind it. Hopefully we get that juco, that Omar Manning guy. Maybe that uh, I think he's a decommit from Miami. His name is I think Marcus Fleming. Yep. Yeah. We need to replenish the cupboard, and obviously, wide receiver—they gotta get a few guys there to help out. It's, it's tough. I mean, you don't—you don't have that Stan or you don't have that Quincy Enunna like we've had in the yeah. past.
3: It's crazy how many good wide receivers we have had that would really thrive in the system that we're using right now that we just you know don't have on the roster currently. It's also
2: crazy how quickly a room can change and flip. I mean, this whole season, you know, we heard at nauseum about how short we were and yet in literally in one month as the new year starts up and the off season starts up. We'll have Xavier Betts on campus. If Chris Hickman stays at wide receiver and develops into that, maybe maybe that's his role this mm-hmm. offseason. You bring in any one of those JUCO receivers you talked about, whether it's Omar Manning or, you know, even what Xavier Hutchinson, any one of those guys that could be here, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you can fairly quickly flip a room around. But that just adds, in height,
3: though, but what are they just doing? Just in on height. The but that's that's, that's, the, the point. that's the thing.
2: We talked about last year, Mac, when we went to the coaches clinic yeah. and we watched the practice. That O line was too deep and looked the part. You notice how I'm transitioning over to the line here, but but looking the part and playing the part are two completely different things. Chris, maybe I'll I'll throw this over to you. Is there an area of the offense that you think showed the most improvement over the year, and an area of the offense where you didn't see that improvement?
5: I thought that... The improvement across the whole O-line was pretty good.
0: I mean, mm-hmm. going from the high snaps and then the pulling guard with those bash plays that we had with, you know,
5: Mills on the outside and Cam getting to the second level on some linebackers sometimes. And yep. The pass pro was atrocious. I would say probably the O-line had improved the most.
4: I agree.
2: Um, Hymas yeah. had a sneaky good year at left tackle. He graded he, out very well a, on some
3: of those yeah, pro ratings. He's,
5: uh, He's got that nasty to him too. He's he's the, he's one of those guys that's got that. What they're talking about that nasty that mm-hmm. finished to play.
3: I think Farniak's a little nasty in some ways too. Yeah, but, but you and know, I'm not
5: talking about 15 yard penalty nasty. You know? not, like, no but one's but
3: talking incognito here. But,
5: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you kind of got to have that, and I, I think Frost was looking for that.
2: You know, I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. I think the area of the offense I think improved the most by far was was the O-line from seasons beginning to the end. And what I would love to see this offseason going into next year is you know, we, we go all mid nineties. We shave the heads, and uh, you know we get <laughs> we get we get A bunch the barbed wire tattoos. We get the pipeline going there, baby. <laughs> that's that's what we do. I'll put some Converse on. I don't care. Well, conversely, then conversely nice. nicely. Done. Conversely, what area did you see struggle the most from the beginning to the end?
5: That's got to be quarterback and Adrian. Sure, never really clicked. Never really found it. It was tough to watch, and you loved the kid. And I still think that he can come back and be be the guy. I just wonder too, you know, with preseason and the Heisman stuff if it really did get to him and he's the spotlight now he's a sophomore he's captain he's he's, he's everything you know he's expected to do a lot
0: he's expected to carry the team where the first year it was like man he can just go out there and and
3: done it. When you're watching it on TV, sometimes you don't, it looks like he's got time and it looks like he should be able to step up and run, but you don't realize what a good job that defensive line is doing of keeping their, their rush lane sound. They look blocked, but until he passes them, they can disengage and get him right away. It, it looks bad on TV. It makes them look indecisive, but, but you're right that defenses were playing him smarter this year than they were last year. All that said, we all see the struggles. I'm not excusing any of that either, but this is the Big Ten, and this is what Frost and staff have to deal with. I'm like, we're going to see good coaching. We are going to get scouted. Everybody's got a huge staff. You know, nothing's going to get missed.
5: There was one play, I believe it was the Wisconsin game, and and we ran an empty set. You could see the linebacker come back off the line. Obviously, he's fine, the quarterback, and Martinez ran straight to him for like a big bear hug of like two (laughs) yards. (laughs) Yeah.
2: They knew that was coming. <laughs> you know, Frost alluded to this a little bit. Mac, you mentioned it on a show about a month ago. How, you know, you said wait till the season's done. Frost might mention an injury or two mm-hmm. for Martinez. And, and immediately after the Iowa game, yeah. Frost said, you know, he'd been banged up a bit. But let
3: me ask you this if, say, the staff had a chance to do it over again, and maybe we're assuming that Adrian's been hurt most of the year, okay, would it have been worth burning McCaffrey's red shirt this year to maybe win two or three more games?
0: Yeah. I, mean, I, think
3: I <laughs> me would. too I, mean,
5: I honestly i honestly would i think
0: <laughs> you good gotta answer gotta win games you gotta <laughs> win games even if they could have won two more games that's bowl
5: eligibility and maybe one of those games is iowa and like i think back this year too and it's just like we didn't have that one really feel good uh signature win i mean no the best win was that northwestern late kick i mean that was that's dude.
0: the only team we didn't, team
3: we didn't beat last year that we beat this year like, right. that's it. it. Just, that's the only, like, that. improvement. And we lost the teams we beat last year. It's crazy. Yeah. And
5: I think if you asked Luke himself, he probably would have said that too. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I agree. I'm not even sure it. if I asked the
3: staff and I guaranteed him that scenario that they would even say no. Well, but, but I think at a certain point in the season, maybe the numbers get away from you. It's like, ah. Uh, well, the reason, what do we do? The
2: reason I think it's a valid question that you asked, Mac, is that we've all heard we are an inch away from being nine and three. And we were. We were up collectively 41 to three on Colorado, Indiana, and Purdue. And we lost all three of those games. Obviously, the Iowa game—we are very winnable game, right? I mean, we're talking inches, right? Now, the pessimist could sit there and say that you know we could have lost to Illinois and Northwestern too, right? So we are inches away from three and nine or nine and three. And the point is, is that I think as we look back on that season, if we thought that there were players that could have played that could have helped make us nine and three over three and nine or five and seven, yeah, yeah, I would take any one of those scenarios. If it was playing Ramir Johnson, if it was playing. Uh, McCaffrey, if it was, you know, Ben
3: Hart earlier and, and moving
2: Farniak to guard, whatever it would have been.
3: Yeah, but um, in four years from now, when we're challenging for a national championship, I'm gonna come back to both of you guys. I'm like, Aren't you glad he redshirted now? <laughs> yeah. yeah, as we have like a hundred other new guys there, you know, between now and then, right? You know,
2: obviously if we're gonna be a championship level team in the West and in the conference as a whole, it's also gotta start on the defense. Defense wins the titles. We we did improve. In yep. spots here. There's a article I read last week from uh, Sipple about you know how the defense made improvements, just not enough. As I look at, at the last season and where I think that we got better and where we need to keep improving, let's look at that front seven. And Chris, you and I, we talked a little bit. I think we both felt that the D-line made a lot of progress this year and, and looked pretty good, held their own. And I think there's a lot of promise there in the future.
5: Yeah, I mean, I thought the D-line played well enough to win the game. Those big guys in the middle did a great job of stuffing a lot of the interior runs. Just sometimes kind of a little bit slow to the maybe the edge or those linebackers not, you know, in right position or, or trusting their eyes just kind of cost us a few of those gas runs. But stopping the run, I, I thought we did a decent job. You know, you lose Carlos, you lose Khalil, you you, you lose um, Darian. So then you have Damian, uh, Stilly. Ty Robinson, which, uh, I mean, I really like Ty Robinson. Who else? Casey Rogers, yeah, so. uh,
3: Keane Green, mm-hmm. uh, Wildeman. Yeah, oh, yeah, Tate Wildeman's a guy I never think about either. You got those guys Yeah, there, DeAndre Thomas. DeAndre Thomas, that's
5: it. Oh, yeah, yeah, DeAndre Thomas. He played well, I thought, in a few games. He had such a nice play on an open field uh, tackle on Jonathan Taylor in that Wisconsin game. Yep. That swing out, and it was him, and man, he wrapped up and brought him down. And that was
3: beautiful. I, I think, think. Stilly came on well at the end of the season, too. You know, he was playing hungry. The utter size of our defensive line is going to be something new next year. And we're talking now three seasons, three off-seasons in with the Duval effect. Like, what could that look like for us? You know, like... Regardless of wins and losses, and I know it's all about wins and losses, and at the end of the season. But watching that Iowa game, that was not the same Iowa game I had watched in the years past. Watching yes. that Wisconsin game wasn't the same Wisconsin game I watched in years past. We were hitting all the way through. Listen, a little bit of movement from those offensive lines, to our defensive line, isn't necessarily a loss. Those are really good offensive lines. We weren't getting buried, and like that, that kind of we- we've shored that up so much in the two years. Yes, that's we- something going forward. If we can get a linebackers in the back knowing what they're doing and filling in and hitting and bringing the wood, it changes quickly.
2: We need a pass rush eventually to come either from the D-line or or the outside backers. Or aliens. We need a wizard. I don't care. You look at the end of the Indiana game and the Purdue game. You look at the initial reverse that Iowa ran for 50 yards on us. A lot of that wasn't because teams were running up the gut on us and pushing us around. It was not no. setting the edge. Let's transition into the linebackers there, Chris. You know, how's that room going to change going into to next season?
5: It was so painful so, sometimes to watch those teams with those big lugging slow quarterbacks <laughs> run the RPO and rumble down the field for eight yards on the outside. And it was just painful to watch that. We got killed so many times by that RPO. We need guys just attacking and, and linebackers attacking. If you're thinking about next year with the backers, um, you have Honus, obviously. He came on really well at the end of the year. Colin Miller, and then Henrich Jackson-Hanna. Reimer
3: is going to be, you know. Yeah, man, Reimer made that great open field tackle. Gunnarsson, I really like Gunnarsen. Yeah, I believe he just recently announced he's enrolling
0: early, so we'll have him here in a couple weeks. The backers could be a lot better, I think, as a whole.
3: We have potential in the linebacker group to grow and, and get a little better. I think there are some bodies back there, and I know going into this season, we were all very concerned about the inside linebacker. We were so thin there nobody ever got hurt you know we made it with three guys the whole season and they all had about equal snaps so and that wasn't a position group that necessarily excelled but they did improve and, you know, you mix that in with maybe a Caleb Tanner, one more year in the strength and conditioning program. Right, right. Garrett Nelson, you know, that's this all-fire team. You can see the prototype is length, right? Length and athleticism. And, like, once we get Duvall and we get Ellis in there to try to kind of build these guys now, like I said, year three, who knows what that position group could do or, or look like going into next year. Wow. One thing that next year also represents is
2: the third year of the walk-on program. And when you're talking about all the depth you just mentioned at inside linebacker, I mean, you also start to throw in a Joey Johnson who's going into year three. Chris Cassidy. We already mentioned Reimer. These are all dudes that are just going to play that much more of a role in building depth there. And I think that's the broken record from last year was depth bit us at some point, almost across the board at every position last year. And some of that was redshirting dudes. and and Probably the most costly was kicker. Yes. (laughs) Kicker, but... And even that, I mean, we just got an Iowa Western kicker that's going to – Yeah, I bet that never happens to Scott
3: Frost again.
2: <laughs> but it, it is literally just about building depth, and, and the walk-on program is going to play a role in that, is that we're just going to have body after body, keep developing these guys and see where they go. If we can land
5: that Keaton Johnson kid out of Minnesota, that would be really nice for our
0: linebackers also.
2: Yeah, I love the idea of getting that Big Ten area guy, especially, you know, a Minnesota kid the, off the season that they've mm-hmm. had. He would be ideal. He's a big, yeah. he's a big bodied kid. And kind that's just, pass w- rusher type and it's just one of the things that Frost has done a very good job of in the last two years. We have gotten some Big Ten area kids in that front seven on defense and on the O line. We've got guys mm-hmm. that would have been playing at the Iowas and Wisconsins and Michigans. They've been playing against us and instead we're getting them. Well, as you do that year after year after year, that's what's going to eventually make us look like the Iowas and the Wisconsin's in the trenches. If you just think about
5: three guys, so if you think about Caden Johnson, Blaze Gunnarsson, and that Nash Hutmacher, mm-hmm. the polar bear guy,
0: yeah. yep. those are, like you said, the Big Ten area guys that yeah. traditionally we haven't been getting
5: in the past. They love football. They can play in the snow. They mm-hmm. don't wear hoodies.
2: And
0: <laughs> <who knows? laughs> yeah, like getting those guys, it's
2: just. Well, that's the thing, that. Chris, when people say that, I was listening to a Big Ten podcast that had said Nebraska hadn't laid any foundation over the last two years with Frost. And it drove me crazy. Look, you Was can, it an Iowa podcast? No, it was a Michigan guy, actually. But, look, I get it. You can call us out for winning four and five games. But you can't tell me that there hasn't been a foundation laid. And to your point right there, Chris, about getting... Big 10 area guys, especially in those trenches, right? Over the course of the, the last couple of years, to get a Ben Hart out of Minnesota, mm-hmm. to get Prochaska out of Nebraska, who's going to be the top in-state kid. We're not losing in-state Zion kids. Newsom. We kept, you know, Hickman here instead of him going to an Iowa or somewhere else, yeah, you know, at tight yeah. too. Yeah. Ethan Piper didn't have a Nebraska offer until Frost got here. He had an Iowa offer. They had offered him already, you know, uh, but Riley wouldn't. And to keep those local kids here, where Nebraska is going to compete against the Big Ten in the trenches, you're Mm going to get these area guys, and then what sets Nebraska apart from the Iowas and the Wisconsin's over time is going out and getting Savion Morrisons and getting big time... (laughs) Smothers,
3: you know. Smothers,
2: I mean, going national to get some big time skill position athletes.
3: I love Riley and everything, but... Think
5: about the Calabrasca movement and what came out of that and how crazy and how hyped everyone was for that. I was watching Oregon the other night, and their entire starting defense, I feel like, is 2016
0: and 2017. Nebraska misses. It's just insane. I cut Frost some slack sometimes
5: thinking about what he inherited. And like you said, there's definitely foundation that he's laying and getting these in-state guys and then surrounding them with the playmakers and the talent.
3: You mentioned the guys we were getting and you mentioned Garrett Nelson. And you know, one of the things I I feel like has been a theme is physicality on defense. Like that has been something we've been recruiting. We haven't talked about the defensive backs, but look at the defensive back room, and that's definitely something they've recruited. But you talk about development. Look at Lamar Jackson in the last yeah. few games. His physicality in these last I'd say five games, is beyond what I thought he was capable of. He's come up and filled on run, and he is smacking people. To to finally see a guy like that, one of our four stars, kind of one of our forgotten four stars, really. I know he's had a ton of play time, but Lamar's fell under criticism since the day he got here. But that's a guy who has raised the level of his play the last two years and bought in, and you can see some growth from it. I felt like when we played Iowa, I saw some hitting. We have a team full of tacklers, but not a lot of hitters. And, like, with these young guys, I feel like we got some hitters in here, some guys who want to do some damage. Like, you want to run the ball? Cool. I'm going to smoke you when you get to me. And, like, that's fine with me. You know, like, that's what I want to see. I mean, like, gain four yards, but it's going to hurt. Like, we're not doing that. We're just shoestring tackling before. And, like, that's what we've seen all along, like, bad angles and lunging for tackles and hoping for eight yards. Like, now, you know, if I I see what Travis Fisher's doing, and the model seems to be 6'2", 215, you can be safety, you can be a corner, you can be a nickel, Come play for Nebraska, and we'll let you rip. You know, like, I can't wait to see some of those guys get going.
5: Well, that one play, I forget who it was. Man, there was a big lineman that came out on the screen, and he...
3: Yep, Wisconsin. Yep, yeah, that was a great threw, play.
5: Yeah, he yeah, threw the lineman's legs and just upended that guy. And, yeah, that's a that's a testament to him and his coaches and, and the mentality of those DBs. But i love rdbs definitely a, i think something that'll be a strong suit for us in, in the coming years you know frost had this, this great recruiting class last year we're 23rd in the nation and you know we got all these we got all this talent well maybe 15 percent of that talent saw the field and, and that's okay because those four-star defensive backs they're, they're not
3: ready yet for the speed
2: if you're playing a lot of freshmen all the time all right. that's probably not a winning culture
3: if you unless yeah, unless you're losing people to the draft yeah. It, <laughs> you know, like playing freshman all the time is not a good indicator that, of success.
2: And I think you bring up a good point there is that, oh, this, you have to get this guy. He's a, he's a can't miss day one starter. And it's like, whoa, he's a darn good player. But we turn these guys into like, they, they all should be day one players because they're, they're four wow. stars. And it's like, we got to slow that down.
0: Yeah. You're obviously going to have those high four
5: stars and those, and those five star guys that are the freaks, obviously. And they're coming in and they're doing it right away. If you think about Micah Parsons at Penn State. Sure. I mean, dude is an absolute freak.
0: Yep. He, it doesn't matter. He's he's going to contribute right away. He's a freak. Wandale. he's just got it. He can contribute
5: right away. But that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, Noah Paul Gates or, you know, new some of those guys and those DPs. And, I mean, even some of our, our linemen aren't going to uh, develop to what they're ranking, deem them to be talent-wise. It's just... They're not there right now.
2: Think of Iowa for a second on the D-line. Epinesa didn't start, and he was a five-star guy. He didn't start until this year, his third season. Now, he played a lot the first two years. But the point is is that it took him three years to get a starting position at Iowa, and he'll probably go pro after this year. He literally uh, is the difference in that game. Did you look at his stat line? was like Sue-esque. But that's the point with these guys is that they can come in and be contributors and all that. I mean, I come off negative towards star rankings, and I'm probably too rough on them. By all means, I want four- and five-star kids. Don't get me wrong. But it's this concept that they'll just come in and start right away. I you know, I said earlier, Ben Hart should have played more.
3: I don't know that he should have. Maybe I'm wrong for even saying that. That's a lot to come in as a freshman and you're already stronger than guys who've been in a weight program like this for a Mm -hmm. year or two. I'm like, that is that should be as going forward, rare talents.
2: Wandell was here for the whole offseason. And it wasn't like on day one he just stepped into being a star player. It was what, game four when we were at Illinois where yeah. he, he kinda ran, had his yeah. breakout. It took him multiple games. And that's Wandell, right? He was the elite of the elite. Right. If you come in and you work
5: hard and you earn it, you're gonna play. Yep. I, I don't think that they're gonna go around and say, We need you I guarantee you you're you're gonna start. I don't know if that's Coach Frost if that's his if necessarily his culture. I think more of his culture is work hard, earn it, and you're gonna see the field.
2: All right. Well this was a great
3: discussion here yeah, and thanks and, so much for coming on, man.
2: And Chris, this is the first yeah, yeah. of more discussions. So I mean, this is not the end the go big redcast and husker hype. But having said that, I mean, kinda of what are your final parting shots on the season and on the off season moving forward uh, you know, as we look ahead to two thousand twenty?
5: Yeah, I mean, first off, I just want to say thank you guys for having me on and everything. I really appreciate what you guys do, and and being able to listen to you guys is is really nice. It's more than just uh, you guys sitting down and pushing play and record. I, I know that all the work that goes into it, so... Uh, hats off to you guys. I appreciate it. Um, as far as this season goes, I mean, you know, we as fans, it's just, it's so tough because there's not much we can do besides support the team. I do think that it, it's important for us to not lose the fact that we are in Nebraska, we have high expectations, and we want to be in Indianapolis at the end of the year. That's got to be the expectations. We can go about that in a supportive way, but, I mean, that's the expectations at the end at the end of the day. I don't, I don't want to come off, you know, as as a couch coach, you know, and, and things like that. Sometimes it's, it's easy to fall into that. I, I completely believe in, in Frost and his in his mission and behind him, and I think you got to give him his time. I mean, obviously, we're frustrated at this point, not in a bowl and sitting and watching everyone else. It's you know, you have you know those twelve Saturdays throughout the year that you just you live and die for, and it, we really got the air sucked out of us sometimes oh. these past these past two years. It's just I think a lot of fans preseason are going to be more of the uh, the sit back and show me, and, instead of the the buy into the hype. But uh, I, I do think at the end of the day, we're still on the up. We got a lot of work to do, but I mean, it, it's it's headed in the right direction, and I do uh, believe in what Frost is
3: doing. That's the kind of message we need to pump out in the off season, because hey, no one's buying the Kool Aid this year, right? I mean, we're all going to be grounded and everything like that. That does not mean that we cannot have a very good season. It's yeah, just, it's right? just everybody's to the point like, you know what? I'd rather not listen to you talk. Let's just see it on the field. I've got faith in you. We got the right guys. But again, thanks so much for coming on, Chris. It was awesome talking to you.
5: Yeah, definitely. I appreciate it, guys. Go
3: be great. Go be, Go be Red.
1: And now, Nebraska ball. All right, let's head over to uh Nebraska ball and let's talk about uh Fred Horberg's team who uh had a very difficult defeat there against Creighton on uh, Saturday, I believe. That's right, honky. Um and when I say difficult, it was truly difficult. Uh down thirty seven to seven in the first half there and uh, the CHI Health Center in Omaha, and uh, that that followed actually a loss uh, to Georgia Tech earlier in the week. Far more competitive in, against the Yellow Jackets, actually, that was uh, close at halftime, and, and it was just a uh, uh, Georgia Tech pulled away at the end. But um, obviously, a frustrating week for Nebraska basketball fans. Uh, do we have a question there in the uh, Plowboys Barbecue and a Mailbag? Yeah, this
2: came from Believe in Fred. And to preface this too with him, he is a season ticket holder. He is a longtime Husker basketball fan. Huge Husker basketball fan. We rely a lot of times on on him for, you know, different uh, bits of nuggets of knowledge that that he can throw our way. He writes this and he says For your next Nebraska ball discussion, it's okay to understand that asking any fans to sit through this reboot is the toughest ask in program history, and make that statement with the understanding that it's not a negative towards the current coaching staff or team. They can be independent of one another and be viewed as completely separate circumstances. But he said, because I for one struggle to sit through this once again, seeing that this previous regime had gained stability and identity. That doesn't mean I don't understand why the change was made, nor do I not understand the potential. It's more the fact that the consistency and stability was within reach with hoops in regards to being competitive game in and game out, and it's hard to look forward to things when that felt within gar- grasp. And then he said, discuss. So, Dave, <laughs> you are a basketball <laughs> expert. That was a whole lot of information there. I agree with some of it, and I don't agree with some of it. But I'm, I'm going to let you begin the conversation on what Believe in Fred uh, had to say there.
1: Yeah, that's a lot to take in, actually. Uh, I guess maybe I'd start at, start at the end and, and um, I guess, question a little bit of, of where the Trajectory of the program under Tim Miles was was heading, and and really question of if, if how big of a reboot this ultimately is. I don't believe that if Tim was still the coach, uh, that we'd be eyeing an NCAA tournament this year. Uh, last year was his year to deliver that, and it was this would clearly be a rebuilding year. Would we have beaten UC Riverside, et cetera? Probably, sure. Uh, that team that Miles had together had had played together for a long time, um, but it'd still be a frustrating year. I guess the the question there is is in previous reboots, quote unquote. Um, I didn't know what or should have had the high expectations of what was going to happen. Tim Miles had just come up from Colorado State, or um, Danny Nee or. Barry Collier, etc. I mean, you're all hopeful that they're the one that was going to get it done, but there wasn't as much proof in their record that Fred Horberg brings to the table. So I feel the reboot here is completely different in the sense that uh, Horberg has proven that he can do this bef- uh, in in the past. Um, I would say that the the performance on the court has been obviously frustrating to watch at times, but it has been up and down. I mean, as bad as we were at, at Creighton. Uh, we also beat Washington State and, and USF, and there's a couple wins out there where they played a lot better. And we said at the beginning of the year, this is going to be a yo-yo team up and down. Um, a lot of this is, I mean, you're starting a 17-year-old Frenchman as center. I mean, he misses layups. He He never played in front of probably a couple thousand fans has no context of what this is. Um, uh, his backup or, or is Kevin Cross, who played Little Rock. And a, a true freshman, again, we're asking a lot of some of these players and uh, expecting that we were going to be a, a competitive team in the early part of the season was probably too much. Um, I still believe that this team could be much uh, more competitive deeper in, into um, the season.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, believe in Fred. Uh, this is a guy. He's a season ticket holder. He lives in Omaha. He's surrounded by the, the J-Skers and all that, that garbage. And this is somebody that's so, in, <laughs> so invested. Garbage. <laughs> he's so invested into this program and, and God love him, right? We, I think we can all see the difference between where we're at in basketball and the previous conversation we had earlier in the show about football. I mean, totally different context. You know, this is year. Zero. I'm not even going to give it year one. It's year zero. It's a PJ Fleck year zero. And, yep. and everyone had the right expectations coming into the season. I think there's frustration when you look at the score and you're down 39 to seven
3: or 37 nine, whatever it was, or your, or like, your field goal percentage from layups, dunks, and free throws. That's probably frustrating. Well,
2: and that they're just the basic things like I, help believe in Fred out here for a second, Dave. When you're missing the layups or you're missing the free throws, I mean, these are things that, what can we expect with this team by the end of the season? More practices, getting, you know, I I just saw a thing about how they performed well in the second half with, what's his
1: name, Kavas? Kavas is the five, that's correct. That was a Chris Hetty article. It was a very well-written Chris did a good job there on that and actually breaking down um having Kavas as the five. And that's exactly what I think I'm trying to get at here is that, um they've started uh Ivan Oya Drago um as their center for most of the the year so far he's a 17-year-old freshman um he's getting beat in situations that he won't get beat in in a couple of years um and the coaching staff is plugging and playing and trying different combinations of of this team out that i mean they just i mean i can't express the importance of of being able to play together year over year and to completely reboot this Look at Iowa State under Hoiberg. I think I don't know that he went like six and twelve in the Big Twelve. I mean, it, 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 he he was not good in year one. He happened to beat some of the the non conference teams in that year, but it was not a good year for Iowa State. Um, but the team finally started to gel together and. And some of the guys that had to sit out in year one at Iowa State made big contributions in year two. I think you'll see that same thing in year two at Nebraska. Delano Banton is probably one of the the best guys on the team. He's not playing. Walker is going to change that rebounding equation that we simply don't have. We expected Shamil Stevenson to be on the on the court right now. We're not going to get him, and he's also a big thing. So uh, there's there's lots of positives to see from a program perspective it's just when a team has just not gelled together and the right types of uh, plug and play has not happened from the coaching staff maybe the Kavas as, as the five is going to change some of that equation mm-hmm. this team will start start playing a little bit better
2: yeah i think any talk of rebooting anything right now is
3: ridiculously premature and that's not even but i think that's his point it's like it's the reboot in and of itself that's frustrating to deal with. Now, whether I agree with Beller or not that there was any kind of level that we had achieved that was worth maintaining, I I don't agree with that. I don't I I personally, and I'm a peripheral Nebraska basketball fan and I'm a front runner at best, and I haven't needed to engage my fandom in quite some time because we're never front running. And and it's so like a guy like Beller who's watching these games and having to sit through yet another coaching change, and, and watch a team just clank ball after ball. I, I'm sure it's very difficult to watch. I, I'm with you guys. It's year zero. It's too early to evaluate. I'm sure it's super frustrating to watch. But, but Hoiberg's, I think, a proven product. I think oh, he knows this. what he's doing. I mean, it, it's, it's frustrating. Certainly it's frustrating, but I, I'm sorry, Bell. <laughs> I really am sorry, man. I mean, I think we're all feeling your pain. It's not like it's any better on the football side of things. Yeah, and you guys have it right. Uh, Hoiberg was
4: uh, 3-13 and his first year in the Big 12. You know, they were a 500 team at Iowa State, but by year two, they were second round of the NCAA tournament, which is something we've never done. And, you know, we talk about the need for stability and things like that in basketball, but it's not like we're kicking coaches out every other year in basketball. I mean, Miles Mm -hmm. we liked, but he had, what, seven years here. Uh, You know, Doc Sadler before him, how many years was he here? Five, six, seven? Yeah, six. six And and Collier before him. We're not running basketball coaches out here, you know, in two or three seasons. We're giving basketball coaches plenty of time to establish what they are. You can say it's consistency, but it's not good consistency. We've made the NCAA tournament <laughs> once since Danny E nee has been here. Yeah, that's consistent, but that sucks. It is consistent. Yeah, that's that's not good. It was a, almost a fluke that we made it that year because we went on some ridiculous run at the end of the season and snuck our way in. And if, you know, we've had a couple of twenty-win teams here and there, but they don't make the NCAA tournament when they do. And I think it's fair to expect a little bit more. From basketball than that, everybody else in Power Five basketball expects a little bit more than that. I, I think, in Nebraska basketball has been more than patient with every coach we've had, you know, since Jumbo Steam, and it's fair to give Hoyberg plenty of time to turn this around. To and and he'll get plenty of time to turn this around. I don't think we're expecting anything anything different.
2: This is a rebuild year, one way or the other. We were going to be losing Copeland and Palmer and Watson and Roby. One way or the other, that's why if you were going to make a change, and I'm not yeah. trying to go back and rehash six-month-old arguments, but if you were going to make a change, it would be because this was a time to do it anyways. You you make changes like this when you're going to have a rebuild.
4: Yeah, and, and we all like Miles, and I, there's no question about that. He's a gr- he's a fun guy, and he's great on, on the mic, and we loved him on social media, and he was a fun coach to have, but would he have beaten Creighton this year? I mean, did he ever beat Creighton? Well, just last well, year. yeah once. once I mean once, yeah once in seven years I mean you wouldn't have done it this year I don't think it's
3: out of the ordinary to ex-
4: you know to expect what we did this year so
3: the only way this is out of the ordinary like if 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 Hoiberg's starting to field NBA offer jobs in year three then it becomes like man why did we even go through all this if it was just because we won't be able to sustain it. If after he leaves. That that would be if, – if that's Beller's stance and, like, saying you know, Miles is here for the long haul and he was built up to this and we could sustain that, I get that because Hoiberg hasn't been any place for very long at all. And that is a little bit of a concern, but whatever. I'm hardly a basketball fan. <laughs> Sorry.
4: <laughs> I mean, he was at Iowa
3: State for five years, and,
4: you know, if we could get five years out of a coach here and make the NCAA tournament four of those and get past round one most of those years – Oh, hey man, I'm all well, for it. We're building a statue to the guy here. I mean, let's, let's take that for what it is. Fact. And you're starting to, you're, you're pushing that team in the direction we think it can go. And that, that'd be the best thing we could hope for out of a coach at this point. I think, Yeah.
3: the mold would be cast after the first round of the NCAA tournament.
4: So
2: believe in Fred, uh, we absolutely get the pain and, and the frustration that you have there, but at the same time, man, keep supporting these guys. Obviously we know you will. And, uh, you know, this, there's better times ahead, and my gosh, we have got the coach to do it. That's, you know, everything about what we were so excited about six months ago, we still are, and and actually, okay, General Stop. studies. Stop. Dave, I think, what would be a level of success that you could see that could come out of the end of this year? So, for instance, we know we're going to have a little bit of roster turnover again. It's not going to be as significant as it was at the end of last year, obviously, but If we came out of this year and we said, you know what, we have have five guys that played this year plus the two that you're sitting out that you talked about. If we had seven guys coming back, seven or eight guys coming back, and then they flip it with another six or so guys, I mean, and you feel like you have a solid roster coming into next year. I mean, is that, a, is, that a, is that a foundation? We talk about foundation on the football side. Is that a foundation for year two of Hoiberg where you know you feel they can take off and have some of that similar success that they had at Iowa State?
1: Yeah, and I don't know if we'll actually bring that many more people in this year. We already lost uh, Curtis, obviously. Um, so, I mean, they're definitely going to potentially be – uh, three or so at least, and, and maybe there is a, f- a little bit more of attrition there, but I think bringing Blanton Walker and Stevenson in, um, redshirting this year will make a big difference. I think that, uh, JUCOs like Cam Mack and Gervais Green, it usually takes uh, a couple of months for them to start playing better. So I feel like by the end of this year, even though we may only win three or four games in conference, I think I could see Nebraska basketball playing its best basketball in early March and not being a team that um a, a you know an Indiana or Purdue or anybody would want to play again um because uh we're, we're going to be a little bit uh more of a difficult out and that will build into to year 2 and if you look at Iowa State he brings in Royce White and it's you know there's there's sometimes you only need a couple of players that really be that game changer and that we may already have that those guys
3: on the roster just not eligible to play this year. I have a basketball question. I don't know if I've asked this before about Hoyberg's like philosophy, offensive style. I know he had success in the Big Twelve. Would what he did in the Big Twelve work in the Big Ten? Is it is it comparable? I'm like I I get it in football. I don't understand in basketball. Is it is, is it like, is it a similar kind of style? Like if, if he so was operating,
1: this has been broken down a lot uh, both. A little bit by us and, and others. And there's, um, I mean, varying degrees of, of, uh, argument here that, I mean, the Big Ten typically is slower than, say, what the Big Twelve would have been. Okay. But it's actually been, been speeding up, okay. um, uh, in recent years. And that's the case across all of, uh, college basketball and the idea of space and pace. So was, uh, the argument is said that, well, like, oh, Willis work in the Big Ten, yet, uh, the big 10 is seeing this more and more and there's more teams already doing this. Essentially it's what's called a five out offense, right? There's no true post play. Uh, mm-hmm. This is exactly what uh, Horberg really did against in the second half where kavass is essentially a non-existent five from an offensive standpoint. You got five guards, mm-hmm. um, you guys know, just varying heights, right? It's a five out offense. And, um, and so It's yet to be determined on, on how different or unique the Hoiberg offense is compared to others in this, how everybody's caught up to, to Hoiberg's philosophy, essentially, um, which aligns with a lot of NBA teams, right? I mean, shoot the three, which is, cause actually the, the data tells you it's more valuable to, to take threes and make them than take long twos. And you try to develop an offense that, spaces out the defense gives you cutting lanes and get your layups right um but you got to have have the shooters and and the um uh, ath- athletes to do that and they have to start playing together and talking to each other and communicating and that's what we're not seeing when they play really bad and uh, eventually um if you believe in horberg as the coach he's going to get these guys to actually start playing the style he wants to play so a lack of a center isn't kind of a kiss of kiss of death for the big 10 He's going to get out rebounded in most instances. It just, it needs to be, you're trying to reduce that gap, essentially. Okay. You need really athletic six, eight, six, nine guys that can still rebound and, and whatnot, but also then, uh, stress the opponent's defense by okay. being able to hit threes and handle the ball and all this other
3: stuff, right? So it's, it's about and, pace and kind of isolation and space. Okay. I gotcha. So if, if, if that, well, then that's, that's well, good at least. I have a question, Dave. How,
2: Moving forward, when this is really chugging under the Hoiberg the offense, and we're going up against like a Purdue, a traditional Purdue, and we're talking two seven-footers, and like the, I kind of think of them as kind of being the old school of, of Purdue basketball, or a big, big Ten basketball when, when they're playing with those big guys. How does this kind of offense stress that? Because we can't match them person for person, size for size, typically, but what can... Hoyberg do to put them in bad positions
1: yeah well i mean that's i mean imagine Kavas, uh who may, he's not been shooting that well this year but he's a career 45 percent three-point shooter imagine him or going forward like someone like delano blanton who's six eight as well mm-hmm. um playing the five right now he's going to be mismatched on the defensive end versus a seven footer for Purdue. But you're going to try to figure out ways to change that through zone defenses or, you know, double teams, et cetera. Um, those type of stuff. Offensively, imagine a Purdue center that we, you're going to imagine are in your, in your mind, right? Seven, two, yep, yep. blah, 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 trying to guard, uh, a, 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 a Delano Blanton type guy who can take you off the dribble, shoot, all this type of stuff, pass. I mean, at Iowa State, he had George, George Niang and Royce White, 6'8", 6'9", guys running the point, essentially. That's, that, Purdue can't defend that with that guy. So are you going to end up ultimately pulling your 7'2 center because you, you're just getting killed, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be a back and forth where yeah. we're going to get beat on on our defensive end. They're going to get beat on their defensive end. It's who's getting beat worse yeah. and how you can actually, uh, uh, you know, match up,
2: right? So it becomes a battle of like, you know, whoever's leading the game, the other team eventually who has to switch their style to Maybe meet what? the other team. Yeah, like
3: the games I've watched yeah, exactly. we are dynamite about getting to the line. So if we could put any team <laughs> in any kind of foul trouble. As soon as we start making free throws, we will be a far more dangerous team.
2: But that's a very, that's a very good point. We that get is, to the
3: line like in a crazy rate. I mean, th- we talk about
2: progress in
3: a lot of lot of our shows,
2: Dave. It is progress that we're getting to the line, right? We just aren't making them.
1: Got to make them. Yep. Simple. And that, that's a mental thing. I mean, there's no way these guys are hitting should be hitting 50. percent I mean, think about and that that's something that some players can never get over. Others can. It might just be a momentary thing in, in, in their, you know, uh, you know career span. Other, Shaq. Shaq's well-known that, that couldn't hit the broad side of a barn from the free throw line <laughs> during a game. In practice, he could hit, you know, 10, 12, 15 in a row. As soon as he goes out there during a game, he's a 50% free throw shooter. Um, so I don't think Gervais Green is a 50% free throw shooter it, in his career, he's going to bounce back, become a normal 70, 75%, whatever. And, uh, that will, that'll self correct
3: itself at some point. All right. Nebraska ball. <laughs> Fantastic.
1: <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, great basketball conversation there. I'm looking forward to having more of those over the next couple of months. Uh, let's, uh, get out of here with some parting shots. Hockey, what do you have for me? Well, first off, I want to, Give
2: congratulations to the city of Omaha. Uh, the 2020 MLB draft is going to be coming to Omaha next summer during the, the College World Series time, basically. So, mm. I mean, how awesome is that? That's super it's, awesome. We've talked about that. <laughs> Mac cares probably less about baseball <laughs> than he does basketball. But I, th- I mean, that's an amazing thing. I think it's great for the game. It's great for for college baseball. And I, I think we've all talked about in the past how important Omaha is to college baseball. That it really is a,
3: mm.
2: you know, it's, it's, the city has been just such a great,
3: I don't know. Omaha is a great event town. And they, and they honestly, as much as, you know, the J-Screw thing happens, it's, it's cool that they host these things. It's great yeah. for Nebraska.
0: Yeah.
2: So, anyways, congrats to Omaha there. And the other thing I want to say is, uh, I want to, uh, thank one of our loyal listeners, Jim Flynn, on, uh, Twitter. He wrote that he wanted to thank us uh, for having a great year. The the Redcast. He goes as a Husker fan living in New England. To not only see every game is fantastic, but your podcast really makes me feel like I live closer. It's really great, and you guys should be proud. Well, thank you, Jim. We are proud of it, and uh, and you can also give us your kind uh, responses and and uh, give us five stars and all that on yes. iTunes or whatever your podcast platform of choices. So.
4: Thank you, uh, Jim, for the response. And, you know, we'll keep doing what we're doing.
1: I sure hope so. All right, Boomer, what do you got for me?
4: Well, a couple things. First off, uh, Jim, appreciate the kind words. So, uh, you're wrong about the expanded playoffs. We'll argue that on Twitter <laughs> and later on in the show. Uh, you know, we've got plenty of time in the offseason to go over that, but we'll deal with that later. And uh, the other thing I want to bring up for Husker fans who are listening, it's not all dark. If you look at you know, our volleyball team, they're cruising along great. I hope you've watched them against Ball State and then Missouri. We've got, you know, Hawaii coming up and, um, you know, finals, you know, beyond that. So good job there. And women's basketball, I mean, heck, they beat Duke. If you want to say a Husker basketball team beat Duke, hey, mm-hmm. we've got that. They're playing great. I'm, what, at 8 and 1, I believe, at this point. I mean, please mm-hmm. support them. Enjoy that. Take it for what it is. You know, wins are wins. Husker sports are Husker sports. Support everything you can on it. And, uh, Go big, red. No matter who you
3: are. Absolutely. All right, Mac. Uh, Redcasters, I just want to thank you for indulging us this uh, this podcast for some of our lament, lamentations. What's the word for that? When lamentation. i like to, so That's what you want. Yeah. Thank you for for this last season. It, it was a rough season on all of us, and and this is just kind of the. The episode, it all spills out. So, you know, by the time by the time the season rolls around, I'm sure Honky will be predicting a 12-0 year, and I'll be predicting about too shy of that to look smart, and Bloomer predict a <laughs> about a five-win season, and Dave will tell us we're all idiots, you know. But, you know, the point is we're just trucking along, and we're going to do our best here. So, go Big Red.
1: That's our formula, Mac, right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, with that, uh, let's call that a Go Big Red cast. So oh, big win. GBR. Yeah,